Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We are in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and we're up to chapter 15. If you want to read along with me, here we go at verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. So we know people don't do that. Could you imagine every seven years, you just let all the debt get wiped away and you get a clean slate? It doesn't happen like that. But in modern terms, what they do now is... um. Uh, to pretend, I guess, to be faithful to it is every seven years um, you can get a credit report and some stuff will fall off your um, credit report. That doesn't mean they can't still go after you for it. Um, but that's what God-fearing Christian nations do. They just adjust it to how it'll benefit the powers that be rather than stay faithful to what it actually says. But what it says is every seven years you're supposed to release that debt. Verse 2, and this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. So that's pretty plain and simple. Every seven years, even if someone owes you something, you're supposed to release that debt. You're not supposed to require it of the person anymore. I mean, again, you know people don't do that. But it's what it says you're supposed to do. Verse 3, of a foreigner you may require it. But you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. So, again, that contradicts what we just read a couple of chapters ago, that the Lord shows no partiality. Well, then wouldn't the debt be uh, due from anyone, not just released from your um, brother and blood brother, and um, everyone else still has to pay? That's not partial. That's not impartial. That's completely partial. Uh, But it's what it reads. So you're still allowed to demand that the foreigner pay you, but if your um, Hebrew brother, if uh, your Jewish neighbor owes you something, you're required to let it go. And I'm pretty sure um, uh, the Jewish people I know don't do that either. I'm pretty sure they don't say, oh, well, in seven years, we're just going to let it go. I don't think they do that at all. But I'm sure some people in the world do. Uh, just not anyone I've run into. Verse 4, except when there may... Except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. So that's an interesting statement. It's saying there, once everyone, the whole land is so blessed that there's no poor people among you. It's just so abundant that there's no homeless people. There's no one wanting for food. There's no need for SNAP and EBT benefits. People, all, everyone, every single person has enough that they don't need anything. They all have plenty to eat. So when it gets to that point, then you don't have to worry about releasing the debts anymore because everyone has enough that they can go ahead and pay or don't need to borrow anything. And we know that that's a pipe dream. Has that ever happened? I don't think even even happened ever in the Bible, much less since then. But another issue with that is, um, was it there was something about that? Something slipped my mind just that quick, but maybe it'll come back to me. But it's saying there that you're supposed to, oh, something about Jesus says something. Oh, that uh, the contradiction. The part, this is what the Old Testament is saying. Jesus says, the poor you'll have with you always. So how in the world, and he says, whenever you want, you can do them good. And I'm paraphrasing that part. But the part, the poor, the poor you'll have with you always, Jesus said that in the Gospels. And you can do a search and find it yourself and see. So then at what point will there never be any poor among you that there that doesn't happen. It's never happened, and I can't ever see it happening. Jesus says, you'll always have poor people with you. So this rule about 
releasing debts will always be there because there'll never be never be a point where no one is poor unfortunately verse 5 only if you're if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today so again it's not the Lord commanding these things it's Moses commanding these things and some of these things aren't even Moses's commandments some of these are almost certainly uh, religious dogmas set up by some of the forefathers just like Jesus points out in the Gospels that some things like circumcision things like divorce They've been adjusted and tweaked by uh, different other people over time and are, aren't all commandments given by Moses even if they get lumped under the umbrella of Moses' commandments because they're in what are called the, one of the five books of Moses, these first five books of the Bible. But we know that that can't possibly be the case because Jesus lets us Christians know, lets everyone know, but for us Christians to accept it, that everything that's said there is not from Moses and absolutely isn't from God. But it's how it reads. Verse 6, For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Well, that also then explain the, the billions of dollars sent every year by the United States. A God-fearing Christian nation that sends military aid constantly, religiously, literally, to this part of the world every single year. Won't do anything about the homeless problems in America. Fights every penny being given to things like SNAP and EBT. Or definitely won't do anything like universal health care. But sends billions of dollars every year to a sovereign nation, the uh, Israel, Palestine, Israel, that area of the world. But not just there. You see just recently, 50 billion, another tens of billions being sent to the Ukraine, another independent sovereign nation that chose to go it alone and not align itself with any other country. But then when it needs help, there's America sending billions and billions of dollars to other non-citizens while the citizens suffer. It makes no sense at all for a supposedly God-fearing Christian nation. And it's not even consistent with what the Bible says you should be doing. It says here, you're not supposed to, that nation isn't supposed to be borrowing anything at all. And so I guess all those billions of dollars are not loans. I guess they're gifts if only the citizens could get that not just the rich elite citizens who don't need it like with the stimulus stuff since covid 90 plus percent of that going to wealthy people and sources that don't even need it and then everyone else having to split the smallest percentage less than 10 percent nonsense like that but it's how the world this country works or is not working Verse 7, if there is, is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor, poor brother. So now it's back to there. if there is any poor people. We just read that it's going to be to the point where there's no poor among you because everybody's going to have so much, so much plenty. But then the same, but if there is a poor person among you, um, don't harden your heart to them. Don't step over the homeless person that you see struggling, much less terrorize them like you see these different right-wing whack jobs looking for victims, going out terrorizing homeless people, shooting them, victimizing them, beating them, killing them, all that nonsense, and getting away with it for the most part. It's really sick. But those that's what the right-wing right wing religious arm of this country does and gets away with. 
at least gets away with um in human terms i don't think people in the divine sense get away with anything from the smallest offense to the largest i don't think you actually get away with anything we reap what we sow verse 8 but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need whatever he needs so you know america doesn't do that it's saying look out for the needy look out for the poor and whatever they need open your hand wide to give it to them don't be stingy don't means test don't have them jump through hoops none of that stuff open your hand wide to make sure they have whatever it is they need and we again we know america ain't doing that uh, america thumps the bible it doesn't go by it doesn't abide by it verse 9 beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the lord against you and i it becomes sin among you so moses is saying don't um try and be crafty and say oh boy this is the year of release it's seven years so if i loan him this ten dollars he's not gonna have to pay it back to me because it's the year of release it's gonna be a lost ten dollars he's saying don't be like that but again we know people aren't like that are exactly like that and ain't trying to let anything go after seven years or even longer than that and whether it's ten dollars or a hundred dollars ain't trying to even loan anything to anyone poor if you're going to get a loan at all usually you have to prove that you can pay it back so we know that america and the world isn't adhering to any of these things but it pretends to be a righteous god-fearing world it's not nation it's not verse 10 you should surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because of this because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. So instead of the uh, evangelicals, these tele, these televangelists, these asking you, the poor and needy, to send you, send them your tithes while you're struggling, say like through the COVID pandemic and all of that, um, when people didn't even know if they would have money to eat, instead of telling you to give your money to them it's supposed to be the other way around they're supposed to be dipping into what they have not even dipping in what they have they actually probably shouldn't even be having it like that because if you have 800 million dollars that's enough to help a whole lot of other people which is supposed to be what being in the pulpit is about it's not supposed to be about hoarding that money so you can buy more planes for and cars for yourself mansions for yourself that's not what it's supposed to be about. You're supposed to open your hand wide to those who need it. And yet you see that's exactly what they don't do. And that's even the tele that's even the churches and evangelicals and all of that nonsense. But people are fully on board for it, thinking what they're doing is righteous and holy. When if they'd open up the book and read it instead of thumping it, they'd see that's not righteous, it's not holy, it's not godly, it's evil. It's not what you're supposed to be doing at all. But then they get distracted again by pointing the finger at the other, the LGBT or CRT or any other acronyms they can come up with to keep you from looking in the mirror and opening up that book and saying, seeing where, you, where it is you're going right and what it is you're going wrong. But, you know, that's that's the world. But it's saying here, Moses is telling the people, don't be like that. Don't be stingy. You see someone in need, open your hand wide to help them out and give to them. And in doing that, you're actually setting yourself up for blessings from the Lord. But again, that's not what most people do. 
Verse 11, for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Well, wow, we get a contradiction right here in the same chapter, just a few verses apart. We just read that these things are being done so that there won't be any poor among you. And once there are no poor among you, then that's when you don't have to worry about that year of release thing. But here it is here where we see the poor will never cease from the land. So then why the contradiction? Why in the world would God Almighty be giving contradictory edicts in the same chapter? It just doesn't make sense that this is from God Almighty. But it is how it reads. Verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. So it's talking about slavery now. If someone is sold to you, that's slavery. So if, if, you're, uh, if, there, if someone is plain English Jewish and um, has a Jewish brother, relative in other words, male or female if they get sold to you and you become a slave owner slave master of your own uh uh, uh hebrew jewish family members and it's it's not talking about necessarily family i think it's talking when it says brother it means brother in the sense of brother in the um in the um in heritage not brother in like literally your same have the same parents brother but brother in the same sense of in the same religion and um like i said heritage i think that's what it means when it says brother but it's talking about slavery so you're supposed to let your hebrew brother go free on that seventh year so that your release even includes human property chattel slavery isn't that what it's called does that sound like that's what god almighty would have you doing enslaving buying and selling people whether it's your hebrew brother or not it's what it reads though verse 13 and and when you send him away free from you, you should not let him go away empty-handed. So once the seven years are up for the person who's been enslaved by you, once you set them free, you're supposed to um, just not send them away empty-handed. Well, that's pretty big of you. That's mighty nice of the Lord to look out for you in that sense. Not to just, could just forbid people being enslaved in the first place. Could forbid you from taking, buying and selling people. But um, that's not what it says. It's saying you can. And we've read before where it says you can. Does that really sound like God Almighty who had, who's not partial to anyone and uh, doesn't show favor to anyone? Doesn't sound like that to me. And if, since it doesn't sound like that to me, and since that obviously is not impartial, then can't that really be God Almighty? It seems to me it's not. Verse 14, you shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. So if you set the enslaved person free, you're not just supposed to send them away with the clothes on their back, whether they have shoes on their feet or not, like how they did black people when, during the slave saga of America. Uh, you're supposed to do like what they did in the slave saga of America in giving reparations, not sending people away empty-handed to just have to make it on their own now that they're free and let that be, oh, good, glad for that, good for that, happy for that, and let that be enough. No, you're supposed to send them away with something. And black people were, enslaved people were 
promised by the government reparations and never given them. Instead, the reparations were given to the slave owners. More wickedness, not faithful to what the Bible is saying to do at all. And if you say that, oh, well, it says that for Hebrew brother and sister. Okay, well, if that's the case, then why why wasn't that? Why isn't that done? Why, If you're going to use this as an example, then why not use those same examples with black people who are enslaved? It's just so much inconsistency. And it's it's not consistent with a God Almighty that's not partial. It just isn't. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So again, it's pointing to, it's pointing, it's telling the people to remember the time when they were enslaved. Remember, they were in Africa for 400 plus years, and for a part of that time, they were enslaved. That's what the whole Exodus story narrative is about. That's what Passover every year is about, is remembering that you were slaves, and yet you see people like uh, these right-wing uh, Jewish people, some of them, not all of them, obviously, but you see some of them tokenize themselves and align themselves with a, a movement that's antithetical to everything that we're reading here. It's not consistent with that at all. It's not consistent with sending uh, enslaved people away with something more than just the shirt on their back. Not consistent with that at all. And yet you see Bible thumpers think they're being righteous, think they're being holy, think they're being faithful to what the Bible says. It's not faithful to what it says at all. And what it what it's saying doesn't sound like it's even God anyway. But let's keep reading. Verse 16. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. So... As crazy as that may sound, it it happens, and it did happen in the American slave story also, where people were enslaved and chose to stay where they were, not because they liked being enslaved, but because as terrible as the life and circumstances were, it was even worse if you didn't know where your next meal would come from, if you didn't know where you'd be able to make money to take care of yourself because no one wants to hire you now because they could could have had they just had you working for free. Now they don't want to pay you to work. Just evil. Really, really evil wickedness. Uh, all against what it's saying here that you're supposed to be doing. If you're a God-fearing Christian nation, that is. But it's saying here that you're supposed to remember that you were slaves too. And not treat people that way. And yet, that's not how it went down in America. Verse 8. Um, so, But if someone chooses to stay with you because they don't want to deal with now being, uh, say, Jim Crow, for instance... And they just say, well, I'll just stay with you, uh, with the man, with the slave owner. Uh, here's this, what you do. Verse 17, that you shall take an awl, awl, excuse me, and thrust it through his ear to the door. And he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. Wow, that's amazing. We were just told in this previous chapter, you're not supposed to shave your head for the dead. So if you're mourning and want to cut off the front of your, not just your head, the front of your hair specifically. So if you want to do that, that's forbidden. But if you want to keep someone as your slave forever, it's perfectly okay to pierce their ear to the door of your house. Meaning, symbolically meaning, they're now your property just like that house is. Even if it's voluntarily on their part, that that's acceptable, but you're not supposed to cut your flesh for the dead. You're not supposed to put markings on your body like tattoos according to what it's written there. But it's okay to do that to someone who's been enslaved. And it just seems so sick. 
It doesn't seem like anything at all God Almighty would be putting out there for humanity to be abiding by. But again, it's how it reads. Verse 18, it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he's been worth a double hired servant in you, serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So one of the things to not read over there is that it's still talking about your Hebrew brother and sister, that they've been twice as um, valuable to you as a servant for those six years. And so when you set them free in that seventh year, that it shouldn't bother you, it shouldn't uh, hurt your heart to let them have their freedom. Does that sound like what God Almighty would say? It really doesn't sound like that to me, especially when you consider that only that only applies to the Hebrew brothers and sisters. If you enslave a foreigner, you're allowed to pass them down as property to your children for generations and they be enslaved. That sounds like a God who's in who's impartial. It doesn't sound like God's impartial at all. If you believe that's God, I don't believe that that's anything that God Almighty would be saying at all. But it's what it says, so we're reading it. Verse 19, all the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. So the firstborn are being set apart as special again. Um, I'm pretty sure it'll be hearkening back to the whole Exodus uh, saga where the they were freed from slavery. Verse 20, and the firstborns were chosen for a specific purpose then. Verse 20, you and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. So the firstborn of the flock are to be um, set apart in that sense to be a special meal for the people and the household to eat and enjoy uh, year by year. Sort of like the whole Passover um, uh, meal and how it is shared year by year, you know, carried out year by year. Verse 21, but if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So the animal sacrifices have to be what they say without blemish, as it says. That means nothing wrong with it physically, because for some reason God would let it be born that way, but then not make it be worthy of a sacrifice. It just doesn't make sense at all. But it's what it says the Lord wants you to do. It's what Moses is saying the people have to adhere to as far as their walk of life with the religion. Verse 22, you may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. So the the offering itself is perfectly fine to be eaten by anyone, clean or unclean people, meaning ritually clean or unclean, like if you've had sex then you're unclean. And that's whether it's with your wife, spouse, solo, if you've had if you've had an emission, if you've ejaculated, you're unclean. Uh, but you can still go ahead and eat that. And that's all according to the dogma laid out here again and again by Moses and the religious leaders for the last few books that we've been reading here in the Bible. Um and again doesn't seem like anything that at all that a God who has a whole universe to tend to would be so focused on. But Again, that's what it says. Um, verse 23, only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. So it finishes the chapter here with focusing again on the fact that you aren't supposed to be eating any blood. So 
rare food, eating your rare steaks, that's out. Um, and obviously in modern term times, you definitely don't want to be eating any poultry or anything uh, like that that has blood with it still, you could die. It's That salmonella is real and it could kill you. And, or even worse, cause another pandemic where it causes things to mutate and a disease to arise and spread around the world. So for that sense, yeah, don't eat the blood. But it's saying for ritual, religious reasons, you're not supposed to eat the blood either. You're supposed to pour it on the ground like water. But again, that goes against what lots of chefs do, using blood to thicken uh, dishes. You know, you'll pour, they'll pour blood into a pot of stew or soup to thicken it up because that blood isn't going to be like water. It's going to, um, the proteins in it are going to solidify and some people even eat it. You'll see it even if you cook a steak, you'll see it bleed out and it'll um, turn into that gray stuff. That's what it is. And that's blood and you're not supposed to be eating it according to these ritual, uh, according to these regulations either. Um, but it's what it says, but that's it's what it said, because now we're to the end of the chapter. As always, thank you again for joining me. I hope the Naked Truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Stay safe. I love you and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.